Hi, and welcome everyone to the 112th episode of CM Rocks. Today, we have Neil Benson from Customary to talk about Agile CRM. And usually, I welcome Heidi here, but unfortunately, she couldn't be with us for this recording. So I hope she will join us for next episode. So, hi, Neil. How are you doing today? I'm great, Marcus. It's great to be with you on the CM Rocks uh, podcast. You've been podcasting for such a long time. I've listened to so many of your shows, so it's an honor to be finally joining you. Oh, very nice of you. And I've listened to every single episode of your show as well. <laughs> so both the Agile one and the amazing business applications now. So really good as well. Thank you. So, yes, I will get to a formal welcome as well. So, Neil is on a mission to help Microsoft customers and partners build agile business applications. He's well known for his Lego-inspired content in his video, training courses, and even his podcast cover art. He's been building Microsoft business applications since 2006, using Scrum since 2008, and the Microsoft MVP since 2010. Neil lives in Brisbane, Australia, where he joins family days out and making pizza. Welcome, Neil Benson. Thanks, Marcus. As a solution architect and a delivery read and a Scrum Master, what is it that you do? Uh, great question. So thank you. I That's actually my LinkedIn title, I think, Solution Architect, yeah. Delivery Lead, and Scrum Master. And that really encapsulates the three things that I help people do or teams do. And most of the time I spend as a delivery lead, so leading a team of Dynamics 365 and, and Power Apps um, developers in tends to be enterprise projects with local clients here in Australia. And I've just finished a project for the state government and starting a new project actually tomorrow. So looking forward to that one. And another thing that I do is act as a Scrum Master. So I love using Scrum as a framework for building business applications. So I will act as the Scrum Master or I will have a couple of Scrum Masters in my teams. And I love doing Scrum coaching for Microsoft customers and partners as well. And sometimes I also act as the kind of backstop solution architect. I've been around particularly Dynamics CRM applications for such a long time. I often have architects in my team, but I'll quite often confer with them to check their designs as well. So um, those are the three kind of things I love doing with business applications teams. We're customers all the time. What's your last memorable customer experience as a customer? Well, I've had two, uh, one great experience recently and one not so great. So I've just had a new car delivered. It is my first ever new car where I've actually ordered a brand new car from the factory that just got delivered two days ago. And that was a great experience. Very exciting. After a nine month wait, we had to wait uh, such a long time. There's a microchip that closes the tailgate in the car automatically. And there was a massive shortage of microchips. So we had to wait for yeah. such a long time. But the delivery experience was wonderful. The handover was great. And <laughs> I don't know if this is common everywhere, but in Australia, it's you don't always get a full tank of fuel, but we did. So that was a little <laughs> extra bonus. Um, and unfortunately, I had a, I've had a not so great experience with my home insurance company. We got flooded recently. It's my first ever claim on home insurance. And I think I've probably spent more than 20 hours on hold waiting for them to pick up the phone so far. It took three attempts to file a claim and they hadn't registered it. Uh, that put us right at the back of the line for getting an insurance assessor out. Uh, and it's taken six weeks. The, the assessor just came to see us a couple of days ago. And so we've been, you know, 
unable to live in our home for the last six weeks and nothing's happened so far. We've got a builder ready to go, but our insurance company are just dragging their feet. So, um, yeah, one good, one bad. That's terrible to getting six weeks to inspect it. And it's probably gotten worse during that time as well. Yeah, yeah. And the crazy thing is, so, you you know, you and I work in in business applications. It turns out that this insurance company had sold their, or the the bank had sold their insurance business to another big insurance company last year. And they had been transitioning their systems. And the big cutover from the old system to the new system and the new team happened on the same weekend that 20,000 homes got flooded here in Southeast Queensland. So first thing on Monday morning, there's a couple of hundred people with a brand new system, uh, thousands of new customers whose policies they don't know very well. And (laughs) uh, thousands (laughs) of us try and phone them at the same time. So yeah, yeah. I have some sympathy for the poor people in the contact centers trying to answer all those calls. Yeah. So if we're trying to move to agile and for me as a partner sometimes well any change can be frightful and going to agile can also be frightful how do you handle fear of changes of changes organizational towards agile and agile projects yeah i I, i'm not sure that everybody is frightened of change you know have you ever been on holiday marcus (laughs) <laughs> I, I have been right so we, we enjoy our holidays because it's a it's a change it's a break from the normal it's uh you know a different experience than we have at work so we all look forward to holidays i don't think every change needs to be scary or frightful and i think i have experience on traditional projects where all the analysis and design and the estimation was done up front at the start of the project and then i'm working at the end of the project on the sharp end when we're coming up to delivery and we're not able to deliver all the features that we wanted to we're running a little bit late the training budget is getting cut the testing budget is getting cut and the developers are getting whipped into staying late nights and you know working over the weekends to try and get this thing into production close to the original schedule. I think that's a horrible experience and I'm not frightened of changing uh, that. Uh, What I have found with my agile projects is that we work at a sustainable pace. That's one of the hallmarks of an agile approach. And that means that we, we don't have to work late nights and weekends. We work uh, consistently with focus and, and commitment, but we're not flogged to death towards the end of a project. And um, the teams that I've worked with, quite often the consultants will say, hey, that's been my best project ever. Uh, that experience compared to my old way of doing it, um, that's been professionally the most rewarding experience of their careers. And that's amazing to hear that. And I think that more of us should have that experience, both from the customer side. Customers want to get you know the software they were expecting. They want to stay within their budget and stay on time, but also as Microsoft partners were delivering these projects. Um, and I think we owe it to our consultants to give them a, a professionally rewarding experience. And I find I'm able to do that with an agile approach. Don't be afraid, Marcus. It's great on the other side. <laughs> yeah. And I loved your explanation once that I listened to your podcast, where you explained it like, well, we're going to know the customers and from the product beginning and to the product of end, if we Say like, okay, in the beginning, we know the least about the customer and their process and what they do. And at the end, we probably know the most during this project. And likewise, for the customer, if they're implementing dynamics for the first time, they're likely to going to know at least about dynamics in the start of a project than during the end. So if we make 
all the decisions up front. We're going to make them in like, was it Mount Stupid? No, it was some other term, <laughs> I, right? I, I call it the, the point of peak ignorance. Yeah. Peak ignorance. That was right. <laughs> not not mountain, but peak. Yeah. So um, that's right. I think by trying to do all that analysis and design up front, it's when our business anal- analysts and architects know least about our customer and, and their requirements. And it's when the customer knows least about Microsoft Dynamics 365 or about power applications. And by deferring as much of that work until later and getting started with a little bit of development, then we're doing that analysis and design as late as possible when we know a lot more and we can design better solutions and our customers can uh, express their requirements in a way that makes much more sense because they've begun to use the software. Um, so yeah, I think that that approach really serves us well and, and avoids us trying to do all this work when there's so much unknown at the start of a project. I think we're we're kidding ourselves if we think we can design everything up front and estimate it accurately um, and, and expect nothing to change. It's like buying that new car, right? The first car that you're going to look at, it's like, well, I didn't like the color. Right. It's very vanity-based and like, I don't like how it's looking. I don't like this or that. But you don't really like take your time on the very first one you look at to see, well, what are my actual requirements for it? Is it big enough even? Because yeah. that's far more important than than the paint that it's that it's looking. Yeah, well, that's a great analogy because my, my wife and I actually, uh, we, we had a kind of category in mind. We've got three kids. We like to go camping. We have got a lot of gear. So we're looking for quite a big car. And we hired several cars. So we would take a car on a camping trip and make sure it was the right kind of size, it was powerful enough, it had the features before we placed our order. And in fact, the last car we hired was almost the one that we bought. We just wanted one with the... Um, with a few extra automatic electric doors. Uh, but we knew that because we had gathered our requirements while testing the cars out and actually driving them, not just sitting in a showroom pointing at pictures in a brochure. That's really a good one. And when when I talk to customers and these fear that I was talking to earlier, sometimes fear can be put like, well, how much is this requirement specification going to cost like? Or when are we going to be finished with this requirement? How do you handle questions like that from the yeah. customer? I think one of the one of the downsides of an agile approach is that um, people have been trained over the last kind of fifty years of, of software development to treat software development like they're building a house, where you can have an architect come up with a design and then a builder with a quantity surveyor comes through with a very detailed cost breakdown. This is how much it's going to cost for the flooring, for the internal walls, for the plaster, for the painting, for the kitchen that you want, for the cabinet doors. That doorknob is going to cost you $10. You know, we get very, very granular when we're building a building. And complex business applications are not like that. We're solving very difficult problems that nobody has ever solved before in novel ways where nobody has built a solution quite like the one that we're going to build. And so we can't approach it like we're building a building. And I think if we try to estimate it like we're building a building with you know, fixed price, fixed scope, fixed time projects, then that's the cause for a lot of heartache. What I try to do is to say, well, let, let's start by building a bit of software that solves one of your highest value requirements. And I think it's going to take six weeks. And I think uh, I think I can do that with a team of six people and they cost $1,000 a day. So I know the cost. So for six weeks, there's a fixed cost, fixed time. And let's see how much of that 
requirement we can solve. And that way we can estimate the rest of it. And it might be a very rough estimate. We're going to keep refining that estimate as we continue to learn more about your requirements. And as we continue to learn more about how quickly we can go as a team with you. So I, I, I come up with much more rough estimates that I continually re refine. And then I use a couple of techniques, one called user story maps, which I love because traditionally in an agile approach, we have a product backlog. You might be familiar with that. It's a long list of all of the work that we need to do to, to meet the requirement. Well, looking at a big long list, even if it's in Azure DevOps or, or some decent backlog management system, it's still very hard to know whether it's complete, whether all the requirements have been covered, whether our entire business process um, is in there, whether all of our stakeholders have been represented. And so user story maps give us a way to visualize that product backlog in two dimensions um, across our business process with our stakeholders there. And then down the left-hand side, we have um, the priority of the requirements and the different um, features that we're going to build. And so we can slice it into releases and now we can begin to estimate those features. I use a technique called planning poker to do that. And I estimate the size of the features in story points. And that gives me a rough idea of when each release is going to be available, how much it's going to cost. And I know what kind of team is going to be needed to try and build it. And so I've been able to build user story maps in just a couple of days um, and then uh, walk the stakeholders through the user story map and get their approval and off we go. And you know, that's much quicker than months and months of analysis and design and lots of documentation. We're starting very quickly and trying to deliver value um, within a week or two. So this user story map is nothing like the old Gantt charts that we used to do. It's more based, based on features and functionality and who it's going to serve rather than the entire timeline then. That's right. Yeah, there's no there's no Gantt chart. I don't use Gantt charts in any of my projects. Um, you know, <laughs> Gantt charts tend to go down to very, very minute task kind of sized um, pieces of work and they get assigned to people. And it's all about then tracking the dates and completion. Um, I don't use Gantt charts at all in any of my projects. I haven't done for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. And, and about the thing that you said, well, we tend to build new things. Yeah, well, if we built it before, we already have a solution or we have a very similar one that we can probably cop and paste in and make a small change right. for the customers. And then, then we know about it, but then it's very low cost perhaps for the customers. So then that tend to be very easy and like, yeah, check done. Yeah, sure. I, it's, um, you know, part of the experience that we bring as a Microsoft partner is that experience of having done it before, of having solved similar problems in a similar industry with similar software. And we might have a little catalog of pre-built solutions um, or an industry template. Um, absolutely. That's our value as a Microsoft partner that we bring to the Or game. sometimes it's just a checkbox. Oh, we want Outlook integration. Well, Yes, yep. check. <laughs> That's right. Let's enable the feature. Yeah. Have you ever been sitting in situations where the customers want something achieved at a certain time for marketing timing, where sort of it's not really the length of the experience? It's more like how big of a team do we need to achieve this to fit into this market window opportunity that we have found? Yeah, that, oh, that's, yeah, that's not a question that comes up very often, but thank you, Marcus. Yes, I can think of a couple of examples. At the University of New South Wales, for example, when we set out on there, it's a multi-year customer relationship management project 
with two streams. One was student services about serving the existing students. The other stream was marketing and attracting and onboarding new students. Well, the, the customer service stream or the student service team needed to replace, uh, it was an Oracle system. I think it was right now. It was right now owned by Oracle. Anyway, there was some Oracle licensing coming up. There was a renewal in 12 weeks. And if Dynamics 365 wasn't ready to go in 12 weeks, they would have had to buy another two years of Oracle licenses, which are never not, yeah. um, uh, never that cheap. Yeah, right. So they're, they're, they're always expensive. And so we had 12 weeks to deliver just enough software to replace uh, the simple kind of ticketing system that they had on, on Oracle. And so that's an example of a fixed window. We're not going to replace all of the, its features and functionality, but just enough so they can get off Oracle. Um, another example maybe would be the Royal Automobile Club of Queensland. So that's um, it's a, a motoring club here, but also offers insurance and banking and um, assistance services. And when we think about their releases, a bit like my insurance company, they they want to avoid kind of the summer months in in Australia, which is bushfire and flood season. Um, so all of, all of the weather happens uh, here between kind of October and, and March. So you want to avoid that period. And so you've got fixed release windows. That's The question is how much software can we build within that window you know, before the summer weather season starts? And so um, an agile approach handles that very well. We just say, you know, here are all the sprints that we've got between now and your release date. And here's all the work that we think we can get done in that time. And we'll we'll update you every couple of weeks with our progress along the way. And you can adjust that plan. All right. So have you then been like requested to like, well, then we need to double the team because actually the backlog is so big that the marketing timing then, like the students is starting, we need to replace it before the students get here. We need training, something, something needs to happen. So hence. Yeah. Um, a, a small example of that might have been the Department of Transport and Main Roads here in Queensland. We just released an application. It's the it's the membership system that nobody wants to be a member of, and the government doesn't want anybody to be a member of because it's it's the drink drivers database. And so we had a fixed release deadline, the twenty fifth of March, just a couple of weeks ago, and that was governed by the legislation was going to be enacted on that day. So we have to go live. There's no. There's no choice. We are just one uh, small application in a big portfolio of products that were being built. There was driver education and lots of other systems being built. And we were tracking just a little bit slower than we would have liked um, to, towards that release date. And so the program manager said, Neil, you know, what else do we need to do? What other resources do you need? And looking at the team, you know, I asked the team and what we felt was that with just one tester in a team of eight developers, so one of those developers is an analyst, but there's about seven developers in the team, we needed some extra testing capability. What we were finding is that within the sprint, we're getting the work done, but it's backing up at the, at the testing column. And our tester wasn't able to get through the work. So we had to adjust the team to look deliver the work, uh, smaller items earlier in the sprint so we can start the testing earlier. But we're also going to bring on another tester. So we recruited Nick, another tester who um, doubled the size of our testing capability. And yeah, we were able to get through the rest of the work in every sprint and our velocity increased. And we were uh, finished development in January. So well ahead of the March deadline. Looking at customers then, um, so we talked a little bit about backlog and and that's one of the, do you call it items in, in Agile? Yeah, it's an artifact, that's right. 
it's an yeah. artifact. All right. Yeah. So part of that is having a good product owner that it can help you define that, okay, what needs to be done? How can yep. we um, find all the things that need to be there? How do you get customers to be involved in that, to be them as a good product owner? Do, do you train them in certain ways? Um, I, I think our projects, the type of projects you and I work on, and maybe most of our audience, is quite different from most software development. You know, if I think of Microsoft building Windows or Office or Azure services, or even business applications or Salesforce or Amazon or Spotify um, or Netflix, those are um, pretty famous agile software development shops. They have professional product managers. You know, there, there is a person who leads Microsoft Word and they are you know, a very experienced professional product manager and they've taken courses and got certification and probably a dozen years experience. And our, our product owners are not like that. My product owners, it's the head of customer service. It's a sales manager. It's uh, an operations director. These are people who are grabbed out of the business and thrust into a business applications project. And it's the very first time they've ever been asked to be a product owner. And they don't, it's a funny sounding title. They don't know what that means. And they probably have no experience um, managing a product backlog. They have no experience with Dynamics 365 or Power Apps or Power BI. And so they're learning all of this as they go. And it's a really tough position, but I've been really lucky. I don't know about what your experience has been like, but I've been so fortunate that I've worked with some amazing people who've stepped up into uh, the product owner role. They are typically somebody who's quite senior in the organization. They're trusted by the rest of their stakeholders to manage all of their needs and, and engage with them and feedback the progress and, and make sure the, uh, the progress is transparent to everybody in the organization. And They've learned enough about Dynamics 365 or Power Apps to express those requirements. And we've also been coaching them in how to manage that product backlog. Um, what I have found that works really well is to have somebody with a business analyst background in that um, team of developers who's assisting the product owner. I don't expect product owners to necessarily write all the user stories or add all the acceptance criteria uh, to those user stories. Um, but I do ex expect them to be able to manage the work of the business analyst who's going to, who's going to receive that work as a delegate uh, and to handle it on their behalf. And so they still need to be in charge of it. Um, they're ultimately accountable for that product backlog. But actually writing the user stories, for example, um, I think business analysts are much better at that. And so we can, we can team up with our product owner and relieve them of that work uh, and, and get some great outcomes that way. How have you found it's normally worked in your projects? Have, have you normally had a great customer product owner or have you struggled to find one? Sometimes I've been working with, as you, great product owner. Sometimes it's been more of a struggle since perhaps we have been new to Agile ourselves. We're right. not the best um, Scrum Masters and hence uh, training people to be product owners can sometimes be difficult. Sometimes they're new to IT because they work in sales, like right. you said, or customer service because that's who we're helping and they don't really know what they want or how to formulate that in IT terms for people like developers like me or functional consultants that know really well how dynamics work. So it's been a journey and perhaps a struggle sometimes. Sometimes it's been amazing to see that the customer is more agile towards um, 
or the organization at the customer. So they have uh, professional scrum masters themselves to help their product owners be good product owners. Yeah, great. Uh, That's quite rare. I haven't haven't come across too many scenarios like that one, but that's awesome. uh, Yeah, it's awesome where they are like, well, we have this product increment planning, so that's bigger agile then. So it's not just that team, but sort of branching the entire IT organization to sort of, okay, now the focus is over here. Let's do this for this increment and see how far we can get there. That was amazing to see that to really work with someone that's been honing their skills as a scrum master then. I mean, writing good specification is one thing, but mm, doing it in a great way, making sure that everything follows through, then it's really easy to be a developer. <laughs> People are online and, and have time set aside for the project. Yeah. So I, I think... It's not always the case. Right. Um, so you, you touched on a couple of things there. So... Uh, user stories are, are a common way of capturing requirements in an agile project. It, it came out of extreme programming in the 90s, and a user story is, was designed to be a reminder that there is a requirement. It's something that the user needs, and it's written in the user's language, not in a, in a, a kind of IT language. Contrast that with the, the old sh- system shall statements. The system shall do this. Yeah. The system must do that. So user stories are designed to be a lightweight reminder that there is a requirement but they're not meant to be a specification and i've seen user stories that are you know six pages or 10 pages long and they shouldn't be that they should be you know half a page a a title and a quick description maybe a couple of acceptance criteria that the developers can then go and meet with the users and chat with them and uncover the details and get a mutual understanding so that we know what the user actually needs because we've had a back and forth conversation with them not just a paper-based specification with no dialogue and no discussion because that's what leads to misunderstanding so if we think about not writing user stories but um you know working with user stories we'll do a lot better um and yeah another great thing you touched on there was was the role of the scrum master to coach um, the product owner and coach the team in agile practices like how to use user stories. Um, I, I love that some of your customers have invested in the Scrum Master profession, um, and it's great to see more Microsoft partners doing that too. Um, but there are there are lots of great Scrum Masters that are freelance kind of contract uh, folks as well. So if you do want to take an agile approach, you don't have to do it on your own, and you don't have to um, you don't have to retrain your project managers. Probably a better approach would be to hire engage an independent scrum master they don't need a lot of dynamics 365 experience or industry experience of your customer's industry they just need to be a great scrum coach um, if they have any experience with business applications so much the better but, um, i don't think it's necessary i totally agree now that agile has grown so much in the community as a whole not just it but agile organizations is becoming more and more apparent then there are companies at least where i work they're just like okay we just do agile we're scrum master we're professional at that hire us at will and then we will train you and your team to to work with agile and that's really awesome i think yes so yeah 
And and one thing that I just wanted to reflect on the user stories that I found from from that place where I worked before, they really focused on what needed to be done, but not how. So that was very good of them. It it's so easy to just get stuck in the how we want things to be done. Yes, but then you don't leave opportunity for the development or the team to actually solve it the dynamics way or whatever system you're building way yeah so that's, that that's was, a great point um yeah. i love to see requirements that that um specify the intent of the user not you know i i don't want to see them i need a button or I need a workflow or i need a custom yeah. table you know leave that up to the yeah. creativity of the developers that we've hired to figure out the how absolutely right i love that insight yeah. all the questions all the requirements that start with that is like okay but what <laughs> Do you, <laughs> why do you need that? So, yeah. so that's always interesting when 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 you get that type. So like, yeah, yeah, we can help you, but not sure why. Yeah. H- have you come to customers that have had problems being involved and being that hands-on and you find customers being sort of too busy to help you? Um, not quite. And the reason why... I haven't found that is an issue is because I won't work with customers who are too busy. Um, they they have been trained by 50 years of traditional software development to be heavily involved up front in the requirements analysis phase. And then they have got to approve a couple of documents and then they go away and the developers go away. And then the developers come back sometime later, maybe a year later yeah. and say, okay, we finished. Can you test this please? And then there's a, a frantic period of testing and then we're done. We train the users and off we go. And I think agile doesn't work like that. It's uh, we're continually involved with the customer and working with them on a daily basis um, for some of the customers. So the product owner and some subject matter experts will be involved every day in the project. And there'll be other stakeholders who have some requirements, who are invited to come and meet with us every couple of weeks at the sprint review and see what our progress has been like and give us their feedback. We take their ideas, incorporate that into the product backlog. And we we do that for months and months and months. Um, and we're releasing into production as often as we can. And they're getting hands-on experience with the product all of the time. So that's quite different. And if my customer, my prospective customer at the start of the project says, look, we don't really have a lot of capacity for this project and we're not going to be able to give you um, a big team to work with, I, I won't engage. I don't think that project is going to be successful. And I'll say, look, here's my team. Here's the dedication and the capacity they're going to have for your project. This is what I need from you. I need um, I need Marcus as the product owner, and I need Susie as a subject matter expert, and I need Frank as a subject matter expert, and I need Heidi as a subject matter expert, and they're going to be available 20 hours a week. And if, I, if you can't make that team available, then this is not a high priority project for you. There must be something else that's more important than this project. And so save your money. Don't do the project because uh, it's not high enough priority. And so I'll encourage them to either hire some extra people to backfill those subject matter experts or cancel the project because it's not valuable enough for them to to devote those people to. It's really good of you. And and it's so difficult at times to say no. Yeah, Uh, I've lost a few projects. (laughs) (laughs) And to to be honest, Marcus, some other people will win those projects. Another Microsoft partner will come along and say, yeah, we can work with whatever you've got. I just don't think those other partners using another approach are going to be very successful. I think they'll probably run into trouble and it'll be a a project will end up getting cancelled later or you'll have a disappointed customer that you haven't built what they wanted. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, it's a word that you have to try and sort of work on. So say, yeah, some, sometimes just a simple no, it's the most difficult part that you can say. It is. Uh, and um, sometimes you just have to draw a line. We haven't really touched on the basics of Agile. Um, I can give you, a, uh, anybody listening, I can give them a, a quick 30-second introduction to what an Agile approach means and what it's like. Do you think that would be sure, helpful? Sure, go for it. Okay, so th- there was a, a manifesto for Agile software development written in 2001, and it's a really simple document. It's got four values about things that we value most and things that we value slightly less. So things like um, we value a working software over comprehensive documentation. That's one of the four values. Um, and there are 12 principles, like putting the customer first. That's a number one priority. Another uh, principle is that we build software and release it early and often. And so those are four values and, and 12 principles that give us a framework for agile software development. And the other uh, methodologies and approaches like Scrum, Extreme Programming, Kanban, that align with those values are also agile software development uh, approaches. And so I'm a big fan of Scrum, where we work in short bursts called a sprint with a small team of up to 10 people, a product owner, a Scrum master, and some developers. That team is entirely responsible for taking ideas and getting them into production. And uh, we have five events. So that the sprint is uh, one event that encapsulates all the others. So we do sprint planning at the start, come up with a plan for what we're going to do. We have a daily scrum where the developers get together and synchronize their work and and reset their plan for the day. Then towards the end, we have the sprint review where we um, show our progress to our stakeholders and get their feedback. And then the team gets together in a huddle afterwards called the retrospective, and they analyze their their processes and come up with better ways of working. And so those are the the three accountabilities and the five events. Then we have three artifacts, the product backlog, which is that big list of all the work that we need to do, the sprint backlog, which is just the the stuff that we're going to focus on in this sprint on our plan. And we have an increment, which is just a completed feature. And each of those has a commitment as well. So there's really not much to Scrum. It's 22 components. Um, It's founded on on three core values and and, uh, three three pillars and five core values. And you can learn all that in a day or two. um, But mastering it can can take an entire career. I'm still working on that part. Yeah. So have you ever had where the teams are bigger than 10 or do you go to multiple teams then? I have seen some Scrum teams try to uh, add more than 10 people to their team. And that's not worked well. Um, uh, teams of, of 20 people just have so many nodes of communication that it's impossible to keep up. And that, that hasn't worked as well as splitting. Uh, as the team grows, let's say you get to 10 people and you still need to go faster or you're building a very complex set of applications, um, then you're going to need to scale up. I would say start small, get really good at, at Scrum first before scaling up. But if you do need to scale up, um, I've had teams of um, 30 um, people running in multiple Scrum teams, um, all working on the same product. And we, I use a, a scaling framework called Nexus, which is uh, also from Scrum.org. And that's worked really well. It's a nice lightweight framework, just adds a couple of extra practices to Scrum to allow us to coordinate the work across multiple Scrum teams. And yeah, so at our ACQ, we had we went from two teams up to three and then back down to two again. And I've, I've run multiple Scrum teams in other places as well. Yeah, it, it's, I don't think most 
I don't know. Do, do most Dynamics 365 and Power Platform projects need teams that big? You know, I know hundreds of Microsoft partners running very small um, projects, and even Scrum is probably overkill for them. If you're building a really simple app for a small team, um, maybe on on top of SharePoint or on top of lists, or uh, you know, uh, there are, there are lots of power apps that are personal productivity or team productivity apps that don't justify a team of you know five or six people working for months and so i wouldn't use scrum for very simple applications like that. no sometimes i've been where the sort of focus was more important than the actual team size so it's made more sense that okay three people are over here working with one dynamics where they're focused on the sole purpose of that. And then we have another team over here that's also working on dynamics, but it, the overlap of features and what they were interested in were different audiences. Okay. So it made sense to split the team, even though we weren't ah, okay. actually 10 people right. in total. So yeah. I've experienced that. Um, I haven't. I haven't taken that approach. I, if we're both working on the same in the same environment with the same application, even if it's different modules or different feature sets, I would probably still try and combine the team so that we've got more cross-functional skills. And you know, if somebody's better experience with um, power apps for automation, then both the teams will have those skills available. Um, but yeah, I can see your I can see your rationale for splitting even a, a smaller team up. Um, to keep them more focused. Interesting. It really, was yeah. easier from the both backlog and priority wise to say that, okay, uh, so it was different environments. We had three environments over there, three environments right. over there for oh, that okay. team. So so they were very separate. So that's why sort of, well, we had sort of, well, customers, we want them between, but more or less everything else was like, well, we have other focuses. So then it was like, well, we meet every now and then to, okay, how do we do deployments more efficiently? How right. do we work with Power Automate more efficiently? I'm not sure we had a name for that. Perhaps we used like, um, no, I don't remember the term that we used, but it, I think it was one of the terms for scale safe. Safe, this, yeah. The scaled agile framework something that they named that particularly in some way, but we didn't use the scale ladder framework. We were mostly just using the product implement planning to sort of get everyone aligned with things that we had in common. And then of course, every other team that did integrations, that did this or that. Yeah. So that was very good. Cool. That's one the great thing about Agile is there's lots of room for experimentation. Right? There's a few guardrails um, and a, a lightweight framework. And then the actual technical practices and how we organize ourselves is up to us. And there's lots of different ways of, of achieving success within that framework. Yeah. So where do I want to go if I want to keep sprinting then? Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to recommend that Microsoft professionals should be looking at Scrum certification, just like we get our Dynamics 365 fundamentals. And then we do you know more and more exams. Um, Satya Nadella calls it technical intensity. I think we need to treat our the methodology and the approach that we use in the same way. I love it um, if everybody is certified because then we're all using the same language. We all know what a daily scrum is. Nobody's calling it a, a stand-up. We know what a, a sprint review is. And nobody's calling it a showcase. So 
you know, words have meanings. And, and I think um, getting a basic certification ensures that we're all using the same words with the same meaning. I'm a big fan of professional Scrum Master as initial certification. There are others available, but scrum.org I really like because I can go and and take the certification assessment without having to do the two-day in-person training course that they recommend. So if I have sufficient knowledge gained elsewhere, I can go and sit that certification exam. It's 85% pass mark. It's pretty pretty tricky to achieve. You've got about an hour uh, and a bunch of questions, and you can get your certification. And of course, I've got a, a training course for Microsoft Business Applications people, and I teach them the Scrum framework. So about half of the content is focused on Scrum, and about half of it is the proven practices I've learned of, of applying Scrum over the last 12 or 13 years. And I think, Marcus, I'd, I'd like to offer um, uh, a special offer to uh, CRM Rocks listeners, if that's okay. Um, yeah, sure. If you visit, if you visit my website, customary.com, that's customer with a Y on the end.com slash CRM Rocks. Um, we're going to be giving a discount to people who want to come and join that Scrum for Microsoft Business Apps course. Really nice. And we will be sure to add it to your show notes so people can find it easily. So we will be there in their podcast player and, of course, on cmworks.com. Great. Um, all right. So, and you have your own show. It's called the Amazing App Show. No, Amazing App Podcasts. <laughs> yeah, the Amazing App Show. Yep. It's, uh, yeah, I've been, uh, I think we're about the same, but I've, done about 112 episodes as well so uh yeah it's it's been a lot of fun i do a mixture of interviews and, and solo shows and yeah it's it's been it's been great over the last couple of years yeah i, I keep it at once a month so <laughs> that's what i have time for <laughs> uh so you do them more often and soon you will you will surpass me so very <laughs> well done and then of course your customer academy youtube channel where you can find most of this stuff and your training videos as well yeah i'm I'm not a great youtuber i wish i had more time um but doing a podcast and a youtube channel is is a lot of work so um i do try and release a video about once a month on youtube as well the podcast is a little bit more frequent if we want to see more about you neil where can we find you then uh i've done a few um online conferences and things recently but uh most of my community time is spent now with um, our local business applications user group here in Queensland. Um, so we've got a meeting coming up in a couple of weeks. And then one of my customers, actually the, the Queensland Department of Transport and Main Roads is presenting in May. Uh, people who, in the Brisbane area are welcome to come along to that one. And I've got my own uh, Agile Applications user group, which uh, you're welcome to visit. We just do a monthly hangout. It's very informal. We don't really have a set agenda. Just a chance to ask questions and get it answered by others in the community. And that's at AKS aka.ms slash agile apps ug and uh, if you can add that as a link in the show notes that'd be great yeah sure i will be sure to add it and that's that's part of microsoft user groups then because it's aka.ms i don't think you get registered there if it's for microsoft yeah that's right so microsoft has a new platform uh, for hosting user groups so if you do have a user group and you've maybe been paying for your own meetup license or something, then you can come and join the Dynamics 365 or the Power Platform uh, user group communities. Microsoft will give you a Teams license so you can host it on Teams if you're going online. And there's search tools available, use uh, membership management tools. Uh, so Microsoft's making an investment in that. And I, I was one of the early adopters in that platform. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going really well. Yeah, I think that's really great now that sort of CRM UG uh, 
sort of went away. I'm not sure yeah. what to call it, but yeah, let, let's go with sort of went away. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> um, anyhow, so who would you recommend as a future guest on this podcast then? Uh, there are a couple of um, MVPs in the Australia New Zealand region that I think share my passion for helping Microsoft partners and customers um, in the way that we build the applications, not how, not the technical how-to, but the, the approach that we use. Danny Cahill has got some great content around being a functional consultant, around capturing requirements and managing those. And Hamish Shield in New Zealand has got some awesome material available on design thinking and how to bring design thinking concepts into our business applications projects. Both of those gurus I have learned a lot from recently, and I would encourage you to invite either of them or both of them onto CRM Rocks at any future time. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, and just one last question then. W would you like take on the whole partner that's sort of embracing Agile and trying it out. Do you do stuff like that as well? Um, I do, yes. Um, so I have a team edition of my course. Um, so you can sign up for five or 10 people at a time. And that includes obviously the, the course material, but also some team coaching. And so I've taken probably 12 or 15 Microsoft partners through that at this stage. A couple of customers as well, but it's usually partners. I have one partner in uh, the UK who's put 40 or 50 people through the um, the course and we've done, nice. done some coaching with them. And so, yeah, I've taken some entire partner organizations through an agile transformation. And I also do that with some local partners and customers here in Queensland as well, where I'm able to, to be on the ground um, a lot more and lead their their delivery teams. Um, but yeah, it's it's amazing to see there's more and more partners are, are adopting an agile approach. Some are hedging their bets a little and still mm -hmm. saying, well, we offer a traditional sequential approach or we can do an agile approach. But some uh, customers are just giving it up and saying, we're all in on agile, which uh, that's my kind of partner. Yeah, yeah, I would like to do all in Agile, but sometimes it's just too much of a change. And I consider it like, well, perhaps we shouldn't implement Agile in a waterfall way that we just do it everything in a big bag. Yeah, I, I used to believe that. I used, I used to think that the only way to adopt Scrum, for example, was to go all in. Speaking yeah. with other professional Scrum trainers, they've had a lot of success gradually adopting Scrum with their customers and, and uh, software development organizations. So I think both approaches can work successfully. Um, it's just whatever fits best for your organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, thank you for your participation in CM Rocks, Neil Benson. Thanks, Marcus, it's been a blast, thank you. And thanks to you listening. And don't forget, you can search for CRM Rocks on YouTube. You can find it in your favorite podcast player and of course on crmrocks.com. See you next time on CM Rock.